The bye week is in full effect, and that includes radio hosts as well. Welcome to the Steinberg Show, everyone. Sans Patrick Steinberg this week. He is off doing whatever it is Steinberg does when he's on vacation. I don't really know what that is. I don't know if he knows how to take time off yet. I think there are some Vegas plans in there. Either way, it's Peter Klein with you today, and uh, that will be familiar throughout the rest of the week. A lot to get to on the program today. Ultimate Fighting Championship 246 going down on Saturday. That was a weird way of saying it. You had the NFL playoffs. Now we are down to two. The Super Bowl is set, and the Calgary Flames, you could say, played in a game. There was something on TV with people in Flames uniforms. We'll get to that as the program rolls along. Um, any of your thoughts, always welcome on the text line at 960-960. Whoa. Um, so yes, a lot to get to on the show today. And uh, Riley Pollock, who's making all different kinds of noise in the other room. I, I understand you had a, a historic weekend, did you not? I did have a historic weekend. I got to be part of the call for a goalie goal a U of S Huskies goaltender scored an empty netter on the dinos this weekend so that was pretty cool just the second one in Canada West history look at you go I know it was it was pretty cool I was kind of in disbelief for a second there but yeah it was pretty sweet I I can't even wrap my head around how that would go It, it goes against the team that you're broadcasting for but you said to me off the air that 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 mattered not you were just gonna go all in on that one yeah it was he had been shooting the puck down the ice on penalty kills all weekend long. And then, yeah, he just got the puck shot into his glove and fired it down the ice. And it landed, like, in the crease and bounced in. Like, it was in the air the whole way. It was an absolute thing of beauty. Nice. Well, congratulations. Uh, so you just, like, lost your mind? Yeah, like, I was on color, so I couldn't get the original oh, okay. words out. Because me and uh, my buddy Max switch off color and play-by-play every weekend. But uh, I think I did a good job of... Uh, the background noise, I guess. The secondary <laughs> the secondary commentary. Okay, were you like the uh, the NFL local color commentary guys where you just like started screaming midway through? Like, it's going in! It's going in! No, I let uh, I let Max take the reins and he uh, threw it to me and let me have my uh, talk after. So Okay. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Well I'm sure you I'm sure you have it somewhere. So if it was you on play by play, uh, I would have had you play the clip, but if it's Max, no one needs to hear Max. So Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but no, yeah, that's awesome. Congratulations. Uh, hopefully I get something similar when we are out in Canmore for our AJHL showcase coming up this weekend. Yeah, I'm super jealous of you guys for getting to do that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Myself and Maddie Rose, we kind of get into a groove by about the second period. So then we have about half of a hockey game where it's okay. We're actually doing a broadcast now. And then that's it for the year. So uh, looking forward to it out in Canmore with uh, Kenmore playing Okotoks this weekend, making a bit of a weekend out of it after. So it's going to be a lot of fun. But before we get to that, let's talk some Calgary Flames as they fall to the Ottawa Senators. I I don't even know where to start with this game. Sure, they outshot the bejesus out of them. Great. Awesome. Super duper. Could any of those shots come from a high danger area until Mark Jankowski, some crazy house, scores in this game? We were talking about a letdown going in because it's Ottawa and it's the last day before a really long break. And it just was setting up for it was an it, kind of an afternoon game, but not weirdly like it, it was just a strange setup and had all the makings of a bit of a letdown. And to the Flames credit, I, I guess they outplayed Ottawa. 
But none of the shots came from great spots. Uh, again, the, I don't know what the final shot count ended up being. I've kind of tried to block this one out from memory as much as possible. I just don't know how much we can take from this game. Sure, they they were not their peak A selves. We kind of knew they weren't going to be their peak A selves. Now, is that, do you just like all of a sudden, okay, well, who cares? Knew, knew it was going to be a rough one. It was a rough one. Move on. That's probably the way it should be looked at. But again, you have kind of what was the theme of the week. Big win. You fight. You battle. You beat the Edmonton Oilers. Obviously, there was a lot that happened in that game, but that that is a hard-fought two points, and you just give it all back by losing to a bad team in Montreal on the Monday. Then you go out, your goalie steals one against the Leafs. Huge two points in the standings, and you give it all away, losing to a team that not a lot of teams lose to in the Ottawa Senators. So now, when you come back from the break, I have much much less sympathy for a, well, it's their first game back, and boy, you know, it's a good team in the St. Louis Blues. Not going to do that. Already telling you, eight days out, not happening. You kind of, once again, it, it's like we talked about with the the Montreal game and kind of the Toronto game. You have lost that benefit of the doubt now. Now you have to go out and beat one of those teams that's tough to beat. If you're going to lose to some of the, the basement teams, to make that up, that means you have to beat good teams, and it just puts the Flames in a tough spot that way with the back-to-back with the Blues and then the Oilers coming back from the break. At the end of the day, as we sit here and just kind of decompress a little bit, all the guys are already off in sunny locations. Some of the broadcasters off in sunny locations. The Flames do sit third in the Pacific Division, one point back of Vancouver for top spot in the division. If the playoffs were to start today, the Flames are obviously in it. They would be playing the Edmonton Oilers in the first round. So... I thought Lou had some good points in the noon hour that they came out firing. Like, the Flames looked really good at the start of the first period, and all of a sudden that bad bounce goes their way, and it's like, oh, well, the break's coming up. (laughs) That was it. (laughs) They really started out hard, but then as soon as that first goal against Ottawa went in, it was kind of like, oh, okay, never mind. Yeah, no, we're probably fine. It's okay. I... I agree that they were outplaying Ottawa to start. I don't know if they were playing all that hard. Like... I think you can outplay Ottawa and still not play hard. I, I think there's a That's bit of a, true. I think there's a bit of a gap in there. They outshoot Jesus. They outshoot the Senators 42-21. Oh my god, that's a big number. And the Sens blocked 23 shots. So they were throwing everything at the net, but there wasn't a lot of strong net drives. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of winning puck battles to create opportunities. It and- was well, let's throw it on net and hope to God something goes in. I think Pat had some sort of stat, too, that he tweeted out that the Flames had, like, 85% possession in that first period or something. <laughs> yeah, like just gross. To go into the break down after possessing the puck for 85%, it's like, ugh. Yeah. That, I, need that's... To, I need to get to Mexico ASAP. Right. Yeah, just get me on a plane to somewhere with sun that isn't Ottawa. So, no, and I, I, I get it, like, Again, it's human nature, but it's just so frustrating that they throw all the shots in the world. High danger chances in the first period were 5 nothing for the Flames. So Ottawa wasn't doing a whole lot. It was kind of a crappy game. And I just, I thought there was, it was still a very winnable game. And then as it goes along, it's like, okay, whatever, man. Let's just finish this thing up and get out of here. So it's frustrating from a Flames perspective. But they now head into the break on a loss 
after falling to the Ottawa Senators over the weekend. Uh, so quite a few teams on break. There are four that aren't today with Detroit playing Colorado. That game is now 20 seconds in. Florida is facing Minnesota. I know it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because it's the winter and people aren't out of school. I love afternoon hockey, much like I love afternoon baseball where the Cubs seem to play the Pirates 85 times at noon during the week, during the, the baseball regular season. I would love for there to be more afternoon hockey. I think it's great. Would be a massive revenue loser. And oh, that person can't go that way. Um, it would be a massive revenue loser. It makes no sense at all, but I would enjoy it more. So they should do it. But yes, Detroit playing Colorado. Boy, that rivalry's fallen off over the last 10 years or so. Other notes from the weekend. It was the NFL Conference Championships with the Kansas City Chiefs taking on the Tennessee Titans and San Francisco facing Green Bay. There was a lot of talk going in that, okay, conference, conference championship weekend, normally we get one close game and one blowout. Well, we certainly got the blowout, and I suppose you could call Kansas City against Tennessee a close game with a, another not quite as remarkable but still pretty impressive comeback from the, the Kansas City Chiefs. From a Titans perspective, they have to be thrilled with the direction they're going. I wonder what they do at quarterback. You probably have to bring back Ryan Tannehill. It might be at a contract number you're not super excited about, but you're for sure not bringing back Marcus Mariota. Derrick Henry is an absolute monster for as long as you can keep running him that way. You like the receiving core there. There are a lot of parts of the Tennessee Titans that I actually quite like, and I didn't even think they played that bad. But just anytime they punted, it felt like a turnover. That's how dangerous this Kansas City Chiefs offense is right now with Patrick Mahomes playing at like all-time great levels. And there was a bit of a falling off with the attention being paid to Kansas City. Mahomes goes down with an injury and then throws for a ton of yards, but still didn't look like really his A self when he came back from injury. Now we are seeing his A self. It's it's going to be so fascinating to break this matchup down over the next couple weeks with the Kansas City passing attack against the pass rush of the San Francisco 49ers. It's going to be a lot of fun to study that, a lot of fun to break it down, and then a lot of fun to watch it play out from Miami a couple weeks from now as they're now in a bye week getting ready for the Pro Bowl and then the Super Bowl coming up at the beginning of February. But this Kansas City Chiefs team this is some of the best offensive football we've seen in a long time. There's just, I don't know how you really defend them because if you drop a ton back into coverage and you don't rush Patrick Mahomes, well, then he's just going to hang out in the pocket until one of his incredibly dynamic receivers gets open or he's going to run through six of your guys and get into the end zone for a 27-yard touchdown that completely changes everything in the game. The running backs are what they are, but, I mean, we're seeing that almost everywhere in the NFL now. I, I just, I don't know how you defend that team. San Francisco is certainly going to try, and the best way to defend, regardless of who you are playing or what personnel you're running, pressure with four so you can drop everyone back, but you're still getting that pressure on the quarterback, and San Francisco is good enough to do that. That was a unbelievable performance from San Francisco against Green Bay. And we can talk a bit about how Green Bay might have been a touch overrated in that game. I mean, seven and a half point underdogs are probably rather appropriately rated, I suppose. But that was just a, okay, 
I know it takes a while for people to take teams seriously sometimes, but just so you guys know, we're one of the most complete teams in the NFL and just absolutely whiffed on them. And then Rodgers makes a bit of a comeback to have those of us who had Green Bay minus seven and a half start to sweat things out a little bit toward the end of that game. But that was very impressive and a big wake-up call on San Francisco during the regular season looked like maybe the most complete team in the NFL and now going into the Super Bowl certainly looked like the most complete team in the NFL. Early returns, I keep going back and forth on this one. I'm probably going to talk myself into the defense of San Francisco more than the offense of the Kansas City Chiefs. I just can't wait for Super Bowl Sunday. I am so very fired up for this game. Much like Patriots-Rams last year, I can't wait to see Andy Reid versus Kyle Shanahan. Offensive game plan-wise, it's going to be a lot of fun. How does Kansas City deal with that great defense of the 49ers? And will San Francisco have to throw the ball more than 10 times? Uh, A few different storylines going into that one. Really looking forward to that. UFC 246 from this weekend. Conor McGregor with the 42nd knockout win over Donald Cowboy Cerrone. We said this was very much a possibility. That this was, there was absolutely a way that this could go with the power of, of Conor McGregor and Donald Cerrone's been knocked out in his last couple fights. It looks like the Conor McGregor of old is kind of back. I don't know if he's all the way back yet, but this does feel like a guy who is taking this more seriously now. And now for the UFC, you can make 2020 incredibly lucrative. Do you think that that fight, though, with Cowboy was kind of just set up right for Conor's wheelhouse? I mean, I was listening to some analysis pre-fight, and they were saying how Cowboy has trouble with boxing southpaws. And that's the guy that they give McGregor coming back in. Like, do you think it was kind of like one of those Appalachian State games that you play at the start of the schedule just (laughs) to get 60 points up kind of thing? Well, I mean, if you look at McGregor's career, most of the matchups have been like that. They've been incredibly talented fighters, but the the knock on Connor his entire career has been he doesn't really know how to stop a takedown, and he's fought like one wrestler in, in his whole career. So there's been a bit of that the whole way. It was a matchup that, yeah, you could have put him in there against the wrestler and it would have sucked. And it would have been 25 minutes of takedowns. Everyone would have been booing and McGregor probably is done. So it was, it wasn't just a, well, this is, let's just give Conor McGregor a gimme. Donald Cerrone, while coming off of two losses, does hold the UFC record for most career wins and most career head kick knockouts. So there was certainly a path to victory for Cerrone. It was a good litmus test to see how seriously McGregor is taking this. And it it certainly was a match that tailored to his strengths a little bit because you knew Cowboy was going to come in and be Cowboy and just be throwing hands. And that is absolutely McGregor's bread and butter. So from that sense, you you could have put him in there with a a more dangerous fighter, but I, I don't think that it was... I don't think Connor should have been a minus fourteen hundred favorite or anything like that. Like there was, there was a path to victory for Donald Cerrone. I, I think for for others to suggest that would be almost a bit insulting to a guy who holds the record for most wins in UFC history. He, he's still still a good fighter. He's just not at this top level yet. But it, it's not throwing him in there against Khabib. It's not throwing him in there against Kamaru Usman. There, there were there were matchups you could have found that would have been a bit more difficult on that one for sure. Yeah, I I can I can see where that's coming from. 
Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, I enjoy it. Connor, it's a more fun UFC when Conor McGregor's doing Conor McGregor things. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's what he did. <laughs> the the head kick and then the finishes and then the promo at the end. And I've never met promo more in my life than when he actually just started selling his vo- or his vodka, his um his whiskey. That was like promo one hundred and one. But it's a big fight for Connor, and now the UFC is set up for 2020. You can have two to three more Connor fights. My guess is International Fight Week in Vegas. He's going to have a very significant fight, and then at the end of the year, he's going to have an incredibly significant fight. My my guess would be that you go Connor against Jorge Masvidal. Uh, if you want to put the BMF title on the line, go for it. We need BMF power rankings. Uh, you can figure out what BMF stands for. I'm sure. I'm certainly not allowed to say it. And after that, if he wins that, you can go Hor- or, uh, you can go Khabib versus Tony winner uh, in December for the UFC's lightweight championship. And if Connor slips on a banana peel in either of those matches, then first quarter 2021, you can go back to the Diaz rematch. So you have a number of now ready-made matchups for Connor that the UFC can really build this entire year around. And when he was fighting three to four times a year, mainly three, then he was someone who was bringing in a ton of revenue for this company. So the UFC is now set, even after just 19 days, to have an incredibly lucrative 2020. Did find it noteworthy, uh, old Tom Brady in attendance at the fights. Now, could be nothing, or, I mean, there is an NFL team going to Vegas. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. I think people are reading into it way more than they probably should be, but still, it's funny to think about. Oh yeah, no, Tom Brady will go to the Raiders. That would be a, a weird one for Raiders fans to process. Couple uh, texts, 960-960. Some people saying that we should play the call of the uh, the goalie goal. Maybe we'll get to, the, I don't know. Are we allowed to? I probably should have asked that before I started blabbing about it. Um, we, we might. Maybe we'll get Riley to dramatically reenact it coming up uh, <laughs> in a little bit. Uh, based on how inconsistent the Flames have been, do you think it's worth a draft pick or two to trade for a rental at the deadline? Should this team just try and, uh, try and stay the course with what they have? My, my issue would be, and it's going to be a conversation between now really in the trade deadline, what is the course? If we are staying the course with the Calgary Flames, what, what course are we staying on? This is a team that has the 31st ranked prospect system in the National Hockey League. So I don't know what other reinforcements you're, you're waiting for on this one. My thought is this is a team that set a new bar after what they did in the regular season last year. And I think you have to try to go out and improve what they have now. If it costs you a draft pick or two, I don't mind that. From a Flames perspective, you're host- hoping that pick is in the late 20s, which, I mean, if you're trading a Morgan Klimchuk for a top pl- or a top six player, I think you do that trade 101 times out of 100. And then, if it doesn't work out, which a lot of people would counter and say, well, you're just giving up a first-round pick to lose in the first round anyway, my counter to that would be, okay, well, if it doesn't work this year, I think you kind of got to blow some stuff up anyway, so you're going to be getting a few prospects and first-round picks back in that. So... I, I'm of the belief that you have a team that showed you last year that they were ready to take a next step. I think you have to kind of go all in ish with that and try to make this team as good as possible draft picks. I don't want to say be damned, like don't trade a first for Kovalchuk, but I think you have to give this group 
one last push to see, okay, once you get to this playoffs, have you figured out what, once you get to the playoffs, have you figured out what to do? Because last time you sucked. So where do we go from here? Uh, guys, Ottawa had 11 shots after 40 minutes. Ottawa didn't show up and won because the Flames have zero finish. Sure. Um, it was a tune-up fight, no questions. I don't think it was a tune-up fight. Like Donald Cerrone is very capable of beating a lot of people in the UFC. This isn't your boxing, well, this guy's undefeated and this guy's 12 and 13. Okay, well, how how is this going to go? Oh, exactly how we all thought it would. There was a path to victory for Donald Cerrone. This was, if Conor McGregor was right, then this probably would have looked like a uh, tune-up fight. If Conor McGregor was, still had one foot with his whiskey thing and his mind on something else, this was a fight he could lose. This was a, where's your head at, Conor McGregor? And they found out in a big-time way. A couple people asking... Who are some of the fits out there for the, the Flames in terms of a trade? Well, wouldn't you know it, we have Ryan Pike coming up next, and we're going to talk about this exact situation as we check in on the Flames at the break with Ryan Pike next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Except for this week when he's not on at all. Welcome back to the Steinberg Show. Peter Klein with you today as Steinberg takes a much-needed week off. I mean, everyone who watched that game on Saturday should get a week off after the Flames fell to the Ottawa Senators. Uh, Ryan Pike, I'm assuming, took that game in and joins us now. Ryan, how are you today? It was a, a modern-day classic if I've ever seen one, eh? Yes, I think it's just replaying over and over again on uh, on ESPN Classic Canada today, just as a, a tribute to, to what we saw. Uh, but before we get into where the Flames are going uh, as we approach the deadline and a couple prospect things... Is there, like, literally anything we can take from that game Saturday between the Flames and the Senators? I mean, let's let's be honest. That's sort of a, a microcosm on a lot of levels of the Flames season. I mean, they wildly, wildly outplayed uh, the Ottawa Senators for the better part of, you know, making case, 30, 35 minutes. And then they couldn't cash in on the power play. Ottawa came back and managed to score a, a goal, taking advantage of some pretty sloppy defensive zone play by the likes of Sean Monaghan and TJ Brody and Michael Backlund, some miscommunications on who was supposed to be covering who all of a sudden, whoops, it's two, nothing. Then uh, they take another penalty then it's three, nothing. And then the wheels kind of fell off. So, uh, you know, it's a, a team that, you know, at times generates a lot of good chances, but can't really do enough with them to make them count. And then, on the other side of the puck, they seem to completely forego their attention to detail away from the puck. And, you know, against a team like Ottawa, I mean, Ottawa isn't an AHL team. I mean, you know, they're one of those teams where we're all going to, you know, joke and titter about how the centers aren't very good. And they're not very good. But much like the LA Kings, they're one of those teams that, you know, is filled with some scrappy, young, talented players who are probably a year or two away from being really good. And, uh, you know, they, they made the Flames pay for uh, not being able to pay attention to him too much. Yeah, and that's, I guess, I, I could be less upset about the game if you're right, or if, as you said, things hadn't gone that way for a while in games that weren't right before a week-long break. So it's just, you have a great game against Edmonton, and then you waste it when you lose to Montreal. And then Riddick steals you a game for Toronto, and you waste it against Ottawa. It's just, it's frustrating that this team can't string a couple of those together. 
Yeah, and it's one of those things where, you know, I, I still don't think – I think you can make a – I think you make a strong case that the game they played here against Edmonton was their first really good 60 minutes they played all season. And so out of 50 games, they maybe have one – maybe two or three, if you stretch your definition a little bit, two or three really good, complete, you know, complete efforts. And for a team that was defined like last year, by this point last year, they probably had played, what, 35 really solid, strong games. And they hadn't won them all, but they were one of those games where you, you come away from most games with more positives than negatives. And I think the frustrating part probably for management, the coaching staff, and probably even the players is coming away 50 games in and, you know, probably having more criticisms of their game than uh, having strong things to build off of. So from that perspective, Pat and I talked about this a bit last week. Are you glass half full in that they've played like four really good games this year and are still third in the Pacific? Or is it half empty and that we've had 46 mediocre games with this Flames team and they can't sustain good hockey for more than three periods at a time? I think you almost have to be glass half full at this point. I mean, you know, I think uh, Wes Gilbertson tweeted the comment uh, after the Ottawa game uh, from Mark Giordano just mentioning like, hey, you know, two months ago, if you told the Flames they'd be, you know, effectively a five-way tie for first place, uh, you know, uh, heading the all-star break based on how they were playing two months ago, you take it, you know, seven days of the week. And I think the, the big challenge now is sort of, can they maximize it? Because if you, if you go to flamestation.ca, we did a, a breakdown of the remaining schedule for the five Pacific teams who are in the playoff picture. And if you look at it from travel, the flames have a pretty favorable schedule. If you look at it from back-to-backs, the flames have a pretty favorable schedule. And if you look at it from the strength of schedule in terms of the records of the teams, they still have yet to play they probably have the most favorable schedule of the five teams in the hunt for the Pacific crown. So, you know, sure, you know, you, you, we can wring our hands all we want and say, wow, they haven't played particularly well for the last 50 games. And I think that's a fair comment, but at the same time, if they can, you know, get their act together over the last 32 games, they could still win the division. And that's kind of an insane prospect given how bad they were in the first month. Chatting with Ryan Pike from Flames Nation here on Sportsnet 960, the fans. So as we head into this break, a- any disagreement that top six forward, uh, top six forward is the the biggest need for this team? I think so. I think uh, you know all due respect to uh, to Michael Backlund, but Michael Backlund probably shouldn't be a top six winger uh, on a deep team. I think the the general assessment league wide is on a deep team. Sean Monahan's probably a pretty good second line center, and Michael Backlund's probably a pretty good third line center. And I think if they can make some adjustments and maybe get someone like Tyler Toffoli or Chris Kreider or someone, some of that ilk. Uh, I think they slot really, really well because all of a sudden, you know, you have four lines that can really move the needle instead of two, two and a half. I was just about to ask potential trade targets. Then uh, I've brought up Toffoli. You just brought him up. Chris Kreider as well. Anyone else that is on your radar, or I guess just kind of strengthen the argument pro Toffoli and Kreider, if that's the, the way you're leaning. I'm mostly pro Toffoli. I know, uh, you know, colleagues of mine out east have, you know, linked uh, you know, Pierre, Paz- Pierre uh, Gabriel Pajot uh, of Ottawa to the Flames in the past. The Flames were taking tires on him last season. Uh, they didn't end up getting him. Uh, Ottawa didn't end up moving him. I don't think they liked the, the quality of the packages that were offered to them. Uh, and I know, you know, I think the challenge with the Flames is someone like Peugeot or Kreider might be a little bit too expensive for them. I know they haven't really, uh, you know, drafted in the first three rounds a ton the last couple of years. And, you know, if you go with the Athletic, uh, I think they rank the Flames prospect base 26th or 27th overall. Uh, Scott Wheeler just released his rankings uh, late last week for the Flames. Uh, 
it's probably a fair comment. The Flames don't really have a lot of high-end depth in their prospect base outside of the likes of, uh, you know, Jacob Pelche or maybe Emilio Pedersen. So adding to that group is probably something they want to do. So they would probably be more willing to part with a second-round pick or a third-round pick rather than the first. And with the way to fully season is gone, and, you know, he isn't a bad player, but I think he's just sort of, you know, sort of hitting up his head against the ceiling of what he can be in L.A. So maybe uh, I think uh, uh, John Hoven at Mayor's Manor uh, has uh, reported that apparently the asking price for someone like Toffoli is a second-round pick and a prospect. And if you're the Flames, you could probably make that work and not really feel too bad if he walks as a free agent. And I think it's a much uh, much lower risk proposition than sort of taking swing for the fences by moving a first-round pick and uh, other assets in order to get somebody who might not be around very long. On the subject of Flames prospects, uh, Scott Wheeler coming on at 225 to, to chat about where the Flames prospects uh, rank among the, the NHL. So uh, nice segue with that. In terms of players who could be on the move, aside from, from just draft picks, Brody and Hamannick are each on expiring deals. Would you think about including them in, in any dealings for the Calgary Flames? I think it would depend on what you get back. Uh, I think if the Flames... Let's, let's be blunt. If you're moving one or both of the Flames' uh, right-side defensemen, all of a sudden you're putting a lot of weight on the shoulders of the likes of Rasmus Anderson and Michael Stone and potentially someone like Alexander Yellison, who's been a healthy scratch for eight games while he sort of gets used to the NHL and the NHL uh, practice a bit, but hasn't really played any games yet. So I'd be nervous about moving in season in a situation where the Flames still feel like they can uh, go to the playoffs and potentially make some noise. But like say... If you're moving one of those guys and you get, you know, perhaps a conditional pick and maybe a right shot defenseman back, someone that maybe you can try out and slot into their group and help you out in the interim, I think all of a sudden it becomes a much different proposition. But, you know, I, I think uh, the Flames also might look at it as sort of a, an in-season rental to themselves, keeping both guys and trying to make for the most they can out of this group. Uh, speaking of some Flames prospects, one getting some pretty good news this week as Dustin Wolf named the second star of the week in the WHL. Flames, I would imagine, pretty thrilled with the steps he's taken so far this season. Oh, you know, he, he leads the, the Western League in most, if not all, uh, goaltending categories. It's him and Portland's uh, Joel Hofer, who is, uh, you know, the gold medal goalie at the, the World Juniors. You know, he's having a pretty good season, too, but... You know, Wolf, uh, you know, he had, he had an interesting uh, last month and a half because he went to the World Juniors and played one game, got a win, but he was largely considered to be the second guy behind Spencer Knight, and Spencer Knight was really good, so they didn't really need to go to Wolf too often. So he only played the one game, and, you know, he his first two games back from the uh, from the World Juniors, he struggled a little bit. He gave up, I think, four goals and then five goals in the two games. And then this weekend, he comes in, plays three games and three nights, and gives up two goals against total. Uh, he had a, a two goal against performance and then back to back shutouts against Seattle. So <laughs> he's, uh, he's one of those guys that, uh, he doesn't have a lot of wildness in his game. I think he needed to basically knock the rust off from that, uh, that first weekend back. And once he did, I mean, you know, he's, he's a guy who, even though he, he got lit up for one weekend, uh, a couple weeks ago, he was still the statistical leader in pretty much everything goaltending in the Western league. So He's a he's a really good goaltender at the very least a really good Western League goaltender and he's doing the best he can to make a, a case for himself for future employment somewhere. Uh, the nice thing, I guess, the nice slash bad thing is uh, if you're a Flames fan and you're frothing at the mouth to get a look at him, you better start you know you better continue watching the WHL because he's a 2001 birthday and he can't go pro until the 2001 2000 or 2021 2022 season. So he has another full year killing the dub. Uh, under his belt. So I don't know what else he has left to do at the Western League level, but he's going to get a chance to do it. 
In, in terms of the, the Flames goalies in their organization right now, where would he, obviously it's difficult because he's in the dub, but where, where would he rank for you amongst the, the Flames goalie ranks right now? I would have to put him a strong fourth. I mean, no, I, I think it's difficult to really uh, assess Tyler Parsons that much yet because he spent so much of his time injured and he hasn't really had a consistent season under his belt yet. And I think he still needs to get some AHL time to, to really figure out what he is. But, you know, uh, I would definitely have have, uh, Parsons, have Parsons and Wolf ahead of John Gillies because I think John Gillies sort of hit his ceiling as a pretty good AHL goalie. Uh, and I think uh, Nick Schneider probably won't get qualified this summer uh, when his contract is up because, you know, he's a good ECHL goalie. But all due respect to the ECHL, you know, being a good ECHL goalie isn't isn't much that'll translate. So I think he's probably in the mix with Parsons and Zagadulin in terms of being the the one A or one B goaltending prospect. And I think you know they're going to give uh, Parsons and, and Zagadulin a lot of time to sort of develop. But I think uh, the fact that Wolf is a year away will probably be having uh, making those gentlemen hear footsteps behind them pretty quickly. Awesome stuff, Ryan. Thanks for doing this today. Uh, what can people expect from you as the Flames are on a bit of a buy, and where can they find your work? Oh, all over the place at flamestation.ca. Uh, we're, we're taking a look. Uh, we have a double di- edition of the mailbag because we had so many good, angry questions about the course of the team that we're able to sort of break it out into more, you know, conceptual things and more trade and player specific things. Uh, and we're, uh, we're revisiting our summer's top 20 prospect rankings and breaking out uh, some discussions on a couple of guys that didn't fare too well uh, in Luke Phillip and Glenn Godden, who actually turned out to be two of the Flames' best prospects this season. Awesome stuff, man. Thanks for doing this. We'll chat soon. Yeah. There you go. Ryan Pike from Flames Nation as uh, the Calgary Flames in a bind right now. They're not back again until the 28th. Their last game action, though, a doozy between the Ottawa Senators and the Calgary Flames. Don't believe me. Just listen to this game in a minute. Game in a Minute, brought to you by Hyatt Infinity. Right now, buy a 2019 QX60 and receive $10,000 off with a cash purchase. Good afternoon, hockey fans, and welcome inside Canadian Tire Center, where today, Matthew Kachuk and the Pacific Division co-leading 26-18-5 Calgary Flames will clash with Brady Kachuk and the 16-23-8 Ottawa Senators. Now Brady Kachuk comes racing in, centers it in front, bouncing puck, they score! Brady Kachuk simply put the puck on net and got a fortuitous bounce. And it drops into the Flames net. And the Senators strike first. Now it's fed out in front. Tierney shoots and scores. Chris Tierney bats a bouncing puck by David Riddick. And now Jankowski to Jordan with a shot stop. Rebound, netted. Diving, can't knock it in the net. Over to Riley, back to Brown. Brown beats it in front. Bouncing puck. And Riddick dives. And it still goes in. David Riddick was down and he was out and the puck pinballs past the Flames goaltender. Jankowski up the left wing side, he cuts in. Jankowski shoots and scores! Mark Jankowski finally gets the gorilla off his back. His first goal this season. They trail the Senators 4-1 and now Giordano gives it away. And now a breakaway and the Mestikov shoots and scores. There is the Flames' night. In a nutshell, and the Senators finally find a way to win one. They snap their season-long and league-long nine-game losing streak. The final score here at Canadian Tire Center is Ottawa 5 and Calgary 2. Apparently Kyle was very angry when he mixed that together with the musical selection, but who could blame him? 
after a disappointing loss for the Flames against the Ottawa Senators. Also, a limited song selection in a folder that was made in about 2007. Uh, Time for us to take a break here on the show. When we come back, Riley, burning to ask me specifically three questions. We will get to it next here on the Steinberg Show, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Time to turn up the heat. These are three burning questions on the Steinberg Show, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Riley tasked with asking the questions today. Hello, Riley. Hi, Klein. How's it going? Wonderful, man. How are you? I'm pretty good. Just watching some afternoon sports. Yeah, loving the uh, the afternoon basketball. And, and there's hockey on as well. Uh, but with it being a holiday in the States, got uh, the entire NBA save a couple teams in action today and a couple hockey teams as well. So yeah, I'm digging afternoon sports for sure. Um, yeah, we're going to go right into NFL today. Cool. Uh, Patty Mahomes having a playoffs to remember. He's been really, really good the past couple of weeks. So my question is a one game winner take all. Do you take Patrick Mahomes or the probable MVP Lamar Jackson to be your quarterback? I'm probably going Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I think that that train really derailed for Lamar Jackson. Once things started to not go their way in the playoff game. I think that comes with maturity. I think he's going to learn how to handle adversity in those situations a little bit better as the career goes on, but you could see the difference between Lamar Jackson down by like three and Patrick Mahomes down 24. There's a composure that you still have to learn at that level. So I I would much rather Patrick Mahomes. There would be very few quarterbacks I would select ahead of Patrick Mahomes. There might not be any quarterbacks I select over Patrick Mahomes if I'm going in a one game winner takes all. He is you can just do whatever you want offensively. If you need third and 17, he's got the arm to throw it. If you need third and three, you can do a play action boot and have him run or just create some offense that way. It just opens up so much when you have Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback. Yeah, agreed. I think he's my number one in the entire league. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I, I, I saw that um, at the beginning of the season, he was the top rated Madden quarterback. I was like, okay, let's, it was a great year. Still only one. Can we can we wait a little bit? But now now we've seen this is legit and just there's nothing he can't do. What what's his flaw really? Not a super awesome interview. Like I don't know. I I don't know what his <laughs> yeah yeah. His probably, girlfriend posts annoying Instagram stuff. I think uh, that's his biggest flaw. The worst. But yeah, like probably not going to be a voice actor in a second life or or on television at any point. So that's probably the knock. But in terms of you know football. Really good. Yeah. Uh, slight bonus question. Okay. Who do you have winning the Super Bowl two weeks out? Okay. So with a couple couple days to be able to change my mind, yeah. right now I'm going San Francisco. I think they're just a complete team. I think they're going to be able to run the ball pretty effectively against Kansas City. And I think they're going to be able to get pressure on Mahomes only rushing four with that pass rush. I mean, the way Bosa's playing, you might be able to get pressure only rushing one. And that just helps you so much in coverage, especially on guys like Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. So my my one concern is how does Jimmy Garoppolo do if this thing ends up being a shootout? Because as mentioned, I'm taking Mahomes in that. But I think their defense is going to be able to limit Kansas City enough that it's going to be a San Francisco win. All right, moving on. No, 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 no. You can't. No, 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 no. Oh. Um, you can't make me have to make a prediction 13 days out from the Super Bowl true. and then not make yourself make a prediction 13, out, uh, 13 days out from the Super Bowl. Defense wins championships, and I think that the 49ers are going to win that game. I appreciate it. Okay, yeah. good answer. Uh, okay, 
Now to the NHL. It's a pretty close Pacific division, if you haven't noticed there, Klein. Um, (laughs) If you had to pick one team based off their play up until now to win the Pacific division, who do you think has the inside track? I still think Vegas is the best team. Like, you just, you look at the rosters on paper, and honestly, I don't think it's that close, but they just haven't really turned it on at any point this regular season. Maybe they're at a point where they think they can just flip that switch in the postseason and it's just to get in. But I, I still think Vegas has the best team. If Arizona gets the goaltending situation figured out health wise, they would be up there. But I think right now, I got to go Vegas. I I just think there's so much more talent on that Vegas team compared to Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, Arizona. uh, And then, of course, the the California teams, a pretty decent amount of uh, points back. So I I would probably go Vegas. That that would be my selection. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury hasn't been great this year. So if he turns it on, I think they definitely have the inside track. It's it's hard to pick. Next, Sportsnet 960, the fan.